Good morning, this is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. The great Protestant theologian Paul Tillich said, Faith is the most misunderstood word in the Christian vocabulary. Now, it's a word we use all the time. Have faith. He's a person of deep faith. We recognize it as the very heart of the faith, the heart of Christianity. But what does it mean exactly? Our readings today, I think, give us two wonderful images for faith, two ways of approaching it. The first one comes from the book of Genesis, and that mysterious story of the visit of the three men to Abraham. Who were these three men? They've been interpreted in different ways over the centuries. Some see them as three angels. Some even as an anticipation of the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit. But in the story, Abraham is there outside his tent as the day is growing warm, and these three visitors come. And with his customary hospitality, he receives them, offers them food, and asks them to, to bathe and refresh themselves. Then he serves them a good meal. At the end of the meal, one of them says, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will then have a son. Now, this is pretty amazing news. Abraham is an old man. His wife, well past childbearing age. So here's this amazing word, that next year your aged wife will have a son. When Sarah hears it, she laughs. Later, when the angel or when this man challenges her, she says, I, I didn't laugh. He said, yes, you did. It's a little funny exchange in the book of Genesis. Yes, you did laugh. Why is this an illustration of faith? Abraham believed, even when Sarah laughed. Abraham believed in the power of God, which goes beyond what reason can see, measure, or appreciate. One of the great theologians of the last century was Søren Kierkegaard. He defined faith this way. Faith is a passion for the impossible. That's terrific. Faith is a passion for the impossible. What reason can't see, what reason can't grasp or measure, what goes beyond its capacities. That's the impossible as he defines it. Faith is a passionate desire precisely for that. An openness to it, an expectation of it. Maybe that's the strongest formulation. I expect the impossible. You know, Kierkegaard wrote a lot about Abraham, who is, of course, our father in faith. He's the one we look to, perhaps, for the clearest indication of what faith means. 
The story that is most dramatic in this context is the story that deals with Isaac, the son whom this angel promised. What did God tell Abraham? Through this son, you will be the father of a great nation. Through this miraculous son of yours, your descendants will be more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. For an ancient person, that was the most terrific promise you could receive. It meant that you had a kind of immortality, that you would live on in these, in these millions of descendants. And then, some years later, what does Abraham hear? You must sacrifice this son of yours to me. This miraculous son, whom I gave to you in your old age, against all expectations, the one whose coming you believed in, the one through whom I have promised you will be the father of a great nation, that's the one I want. That's the one you are to sacrifice to me. Impossible, right? Unthinkable. At the limit of what reason can see, measure, know, or control. How is this possible that both of these are true? How is it possible that the very one God promised me is the one that God now wants? In that tension, in that maelstrom, in that confrontation with the impossible, Kierkegaard says, Abraham's faith is on display. At the heart of it is this conviction, that though I can't see it, though I can't begin to understand how it's possible, I believe it. I accept it. I trust it and expect it. And, of course, we know how that story ends. At the last minute, as he's about to sacrifice his son, the angel grabs his hand and says, No. Abraham's faith is his passion for the impossible. At the limit of reason, he still trusts. Here's a great example from the New Testament. Remember the Roman centurion comes to Jesus. And he says, Lord, my serving boy is ill. He's like a son to me. Could you come and cure him? Jesus gets up immediately and says, I'll come. And the centurion says, no, 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 no. I have people under me, and I give an order and they go. I tell them to do this, and they do it. I know that if you simply give the command, it'll be done. Now, any objective observer would say, well, this is ridiculous. This is impossible, what this man's asking. First of all, that his serving boy might be cured, and then cured at a distance, cured simply at a word. He's at the limits of what he could possibly know or control or measure, and yet he trusts. That centurion had a passion for the impossible. And that's why Jesus says to him, in some of the highest praise you'll find in the gospel, I have never seen such faith in Israel. Faith, faith, there it is again. Is God opposed to reason? Absolutely not. God gave us the gift of reason. God gave us our minds. 
Does God want us to be unrealistic? Well, no, no. God wants us to use all of our powers of imagination, analysis, vision, everything. Faith is not opposed to that. Faith goes beyond it. Faith kicks in at the limits of reason. A passion for what reason can't see. Let me give you a second image now. This one from the Gospel. It's that well-known, but frankly not well-loved story of Martha and Mary. I say not well-loved because a lot of Christians, having heard that story, say, I don't know, I don't get it. I think Martha has a good point. There she is, serving and waiting and caring for all the details of hospitality. And there's Mary just sitting there idly at the feet of Jesus. A lot of Christians feel Martha's got a good point in saying, why don't you tell her to help me? How do we read this story? Well, over the centuries, it's been read in a lot of different ways. Probably the most popular is to read it as a story about action versus contemplation. There's Martha, the person of action, doing, doing, doing. There's Mary, quietly contemplating at the feet of Jesus. And when Jesus says, Mary's chosen the better part, many have interpreted that to mean Jesus prefers the contemplative life to the active life. Now, there might be something to that reading, but I've never felt it gets to the heart of it. I think this is a beautiful story about the nature of faith. Faith means desiring one thing. Faith means that my life is focused unambiguously, without competition, without compromise, on God and the things of God. I think faith is a question of the one and the many. Remember in that movie, City Slickers? came out, I don't know, maybe eight or nine years ago. And there's the wisdom figure. Remember Jack Palance is the old cowboy, and he tells Billy Crystal, I'll tell you the secret of life. And he holds up his one finger. The secret of life is one thing, that you are focused on one thing. For Christians, that means you are focused exclusively on God and the things of God. What's Martha's problem? Martha's problem is, that she is splintered and divided. Her problem is not so much her action, but her unfocused life. Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and upset about many things. This and that, this anxiety, that anxiety, this concern, that concern, this goal, that goal. Mary has chosen, I love this now in the Latin of this uh, passage, in the Vulgate. Mary's chosen the unum necessarium, the one thing necessary. It's not action versus contemplation. I think it's a splintered life against a focused life, an unanchored life against one that is anchored clearly and unambiguously in Christ. You know, an image maybe I've used before with you, but one of my favorites in the spiritual life is the image of the rose window. It's making the same point. In the great rose windows, 
Christ is always the unambiguous center. He's at the very center of the circle. And then wheeling around that center in beautiful, harmonious patterns are all the other images. Are there many concerns in our lives? Sure, sure. And concerns of family and job and play and concerns of mind and will and emotions and body and all that. The point is, when Christ is the center of your life, unambiguously, all those other concerns tend to fall into harmonious patterns around it. Listen now, when Christ is not the center of your life, when your life is not anchored, then you are beset by all the many, all the many concerns. And you become like Martha, anxious and upset. Look, at, we can all recognize ourselves in this, can't we? It's the many that make us anxious and upset. Why is Mary so calm at the feet of Jesus? Because she's chosen the unum necessarium, the one thing necessary. Doesn't mean that now she's gotten rid of all her other concerns. No, no. She's now ordered them around the center. You know, a detail I love here is Martha, at the height of her exasperation, cries out to Jesus, look, tell her to help me. She's angry with him. She's telling him what to do. When we are uncentered, we even tell God what to do. Isn't that terrific? When we're uncentered, unfocused, we even tell God what to do. That's the sign of Martha's kind of spiritual malaise. Now, faith, we saw first a passion for the impossible. Faith in the second image is having your life about one thing. To be a person of faith is to have chosen the unum necessarium. God bless you. Friends, just a reminder to dial up the website, wordonfire.org, and there you can get tapes of all the talks I've given. You can also get the information about ordering tapes. So wordonfire.org, or just write to me, Father Robert Barron, Mundelein Seminary, Mundelein, Illinois, 60060. Thanks. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of The Word on Fire, call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360.